Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Happy New Year. We are going to be looking at a character called Nehemiah from the Old Testament to help us as we steer our way into 2022. And uh, it's an amazing study that we're going to be doing for the next few months. We're going to be looking together here uh, in, in also in our grow groups. We're going to go deeper as we look at the life of this eminent person, the problem that he becomes aware of. Today we're going to look at the prayer that he prays and then uh, from the position that is in the action that he takes. Now this book of Nehemiah is mostly autobiographical. It reads like a, a journal in some way and I'm going to say it starts off by saying that's one thing I'm resolving to do I've already started today as this year begins. I'm going to write a little journal entry every day. And I've tried this on and off for years, I'll be honest. But it's a discipline I often easily fall out of. So pray for me and I'm going to pray for you. And I'm challenging you, maybe you could resolve to do this in 2022. Make it the year, if you're not already do it, where you, you start to journal. Everything suggests the evidence is in that it's going to help your, uh, your emotional life, your mental life, and it is going to help your spiritual life to be able to do this. It doesn't need to be fancy. I've just got a page a day, a diary. I'm going to start writing in some things I'm grateful for, some things I'm praying about and what's happening in my life. Um, and as, as, as we go through that, we can look back and we can see that God answers prayer and he gives us promises and he even gives us prophecies and, uh, and, and it's just amazing that we can look through these things and write them down and then review them later on. And today we're going to be looking, as I say, starting looking at Nehemiah's journal. Um, in verse, verse 1 of chapter 1, it says, this is the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now, Nehemiah, his, his, word, his name by the way means God comforts. And he's writing at the end of the year, he says, now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year as I was in Susa, the capital. That's, this is 445 BC and he's in the winter palace of King Artaxerxes, who is the ruler of the whole huge Persian empire. See, this really happened in history. It's not myths, it's not fables. There's dates and places and people involved. And Nehemiah is a man of integrity working in the government. Uh, the Persian government, although he is Jewish himself by background, his people have long been in exile and uh, previously the Babylonians came in and, uh, and absolutely leveled Jerusalem and they demolished uh, to rubble the temple that Solomon had built when they did so. Eventually God punished the Babylonians for doing so. One of the ways that he did so was by getting, letting the Persians conquer them in turn. And actually now the Persians were much more liberal in how they treated uh, the, the people who they conquered, especially in the areas of worship. Uh, they didn't make you worship their gods. They said you could worship your own god. They didn't mind what you did as long as you didn't rebel. And uh, a while before this, God actually moved a previous king of Persia's heart uh, to let 50,000 Jews travel back to Jerusalem. And he gave them everything that they would need and permission to be able to build, rebuild the temple. The second temple was built on the same spot in the same dimensions as the previous one. What was the difference? I looked into this. You know what the difference was? What the rabbis say, the difference between the, the first temple and the second temple, the one that eventually Jesus said, this is all going to to be destroyed and it was done as he prophesied in AD 70 the difference was 
that there was no Holy Spirit in the second temple. That's what they said. The Holy Spirit never came and filled the place with the glory of God. And so it was just like this empty religious box that had been built. And, uh, and, and as I say, it eventually was destroyed. But for Nehemiah and the children of Israel, Jerusalem and of course the temple, wherever they were scattered in the world, they oriented their hearts back towards Jerusalem. That was their heart's true home. That was because that was where they had their roots, they had their history, and also their identity and their, their place of worship, the sense that the one true God was there and resident and had chosen Israel in a, in a special way. And the city of David, the city of God was there. But now Nehemiah is hundreds of miles away. He's living a good life in Persia, in the palace where he's prosperous and he's powerful and he's protected. He's living a life of success. And, uh, and, and in verse 11 tells us that the important position that he had, he, he said, I was cupbearer to the king. Now, that didn't mean he was a butler. We have to understand that. He wasn't some kind of a waiter. He was key advisor. He was trusted with access to the most powerful man in the world at the time. He was chief of staff. He was head of MI5 or, or even home secretary. In those days, you see, the only way that you could get rid of somebody in power, you couldn't vote them out. You had to kill them off. And, and this particular king's father, King Darius, Esther's husband, if you're, if you're interested, sorry, and, and his older brother had both been murdered. It was a risky job to be the king. And Nehemiah was trusted to test the king's food. He had to sample it all first, whatever he ate and whatever he drank. And you, you never got a second chance. You, never, you didn't get to get that wrong if it was poison. You didn't just have an off day. You had a dead day and you didn't have any more days. So Nehemiah had to trace and, and go through the whole of the supply chain to make sure that everything, he had to know all of the secrets, all of the rumors, all the things that were going on everywhere in the palace to protect to keep everybody safe, to protect against people and plots, uh, foreign and domestic. So he, you could sum up his whole life in the motto, stay safe. That was what he was all about, stay safe, until we get to verse two. Something's gonna happen one particular day, that day when news reaches him, that disturbs him. And I mean, it really shakes him up. It really affects him. News about what life is like for other people back in his homeland, verse two. Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who'd escaped, who'd survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates are destroyed by fire. Now, we don't know whether or not this was his real brother, the word just means relative. But rather than just walk back and go to his comfortable office and sit, you know, sit there and do some work, I was doing that, he wouldn't have had a computer. But he, he, uh, he asked more questions. He didn't just let it wash over him like I so often do. George Bernard Shaw wrote, the worst sin towards our fellow creatures is not to hate them, but to be indifferent to them. That's the essence of inhumanity. To, to hear that somebody's suffering and not to care about it, to be indifferent. Now, Nehemiah was not indifferent. God was speaking to him and telling him, I want you to make a difference. And this started when rather than walking on, he stopped. He leaned in. Rather than walking away, he listened. Rather than get busy with something else to distract him, he asked another question. And he learned more until he found 
all the detail on the news that broke his heart. That he wanted to know about the situation. There's this call came to him to stand up and be counted. And this is what changed his whole life. A conversation can happen like that. Through this, uh, God can bring a call into our lives to change everything. This was the need that he knew he could not ignore. Even though the problem, as I say, was 700 miles away. Rather than ignore that and them, he let it get up close and personal into here. So we're going to look together at how his life changed and how he went on to change the lives of, of others. When God took him from his very comfortable comfort zone, because in, in career terms, remember, Persia had, was amazing and Nehemiah had made it there. The British Museum has a, has a, has a whole section, an exhibition about the wealth of the Persian Empire based on archaeological finds. Let me quote from that. It says, this was a vast and powerful empire. It stretched from Mediterranean to the River Indus, full of breathtaking cities with palaces guarded by life-size statues of animals. Walls and carpets decorated with friezes in floral and geometric designs. The palaces contained huge quantities of valuable ornaments, decorations and luxurious furniture. Vaults packed with gold and silver, ivory and gems. You get the picture? He's living large. He's living in luxury. And as long as he keeps his head down, does his job right, keeps the king happy, and above all, safe, he gets everything that he wants and everything that is going for him. At any point in his life, remember, he could have gone back to Jerusalem. He could have gone to Jerusalem and lived there. Instead, he decided to stay where he was and he worked his way to the top in the royal court. Now, one day came when, as I say, he asked this further question about other people and through that, God was going to challenge him and change him and take him from comfort to courage, from courage to construction of these broken walls. And with that would come conflict, inevitably, that he had to deal with. But that was how he would make his ultimate contribution. So we're going to journey with God and journey with Nehemiah through this year as God takes us to, if we will go together from a life of security that's all about ourselves and about now to lives of significance for God and for other people forever. Because every year at Ivy, you may or may not know this, you've been around here long, you'll know, I pray, I go away, spend some time just saying, Lord, what's a, is there a word that you're going to give us that's going to help us and steer us and guide us through this next year? Last year was the year of mercy, 2021. And, and we've seen signs of God's mercy and his goodness, despite all the pain and the things that have gone on at the same time. Our God's continually being good to us and we're grateful for his mercy. And we, and we, do, we want to keep that memory, that, that knowledge of his mercy with us into the next year. But months ago, I knew that I was supposed to start off preaching and teaching through Nehemiah at the beginning of 2022. And it's only been more recently, however, that I've really felt that after everything that's gone on here, the changes in the nation and the signs of what could or will happen going forward from here, whatever you may have gone through or, or wherever God leads us to in the future, this is going to be Ivy's year of Rebuilding! Yay! Rebuilding, that's what it's going to be. And it, and it looks in the dictionary as to what rebuilding, and it says to make, to restore, construct, build, or form again. And this was the call on Nehemiah's life. I believe it's the call for everybody who's listening and watching this today in 2022. 
See, Nehemiah was shaken when he heard the report, when he confronted the reality of the situation that he lived in that he could not ignore. The remnant there in the province who escaped exile are in great trouble and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Now, we hear news all the time. We're stuck in this permanent news cycle where just as we're getting interested in something, suddenly something else comes into the news cycle again and we're permanently distracted enough to be absolutely useless and feel powerless to be able to do anything about any of it or make a change ourselves. But you see, this got Nehemiah. Let me ask that question. What is it that gets you? Is there anything that really gets you and gets your attention long enough to really get you? When a while ago at the men's breakfast, I heard Tim Nelson from Hope for Justice speak about the plight of trafficked people and especially children. I just thought, I can't ignore that any longer, that evil trade. And I have to start to make some questions about my own buying choices for one thing. Something broke inside of me again about how I could be complicit, even unknowingly, in keeping children and other people trapped in slavery so that I can have luxury. Personally speaking, the idea of mandatory vaccinations seems to me to be a tyrannical evil and I will pray about it and I will do all I can to oppose the idea because it's something that gets me. Again, you might have your own views on these things, but there are lines, you see, with regard to being able to speak to people who come to me struggling with questions of temptation, including questions of sex or identity. And if the law changes, as some people are pushing to, which means that it would be illegal for me to be able to open the Bible with somebody and invite them to be able to read what I believe God says about our lives, the words that changed my life, if, if I can't share that with somebody else, and, and if I do, I'll go to prison, then I will go to prison. Because, and I'll go to prison rejoicing that I'm being, being counted worthy to suffer in the name of the one who suffered and lost everything for me. I know many of our young people, they, get, they put us to shame with regard to things like issues around the environment. Why? Because it gets them. And even more than being aware of and reading about the news, we need to read what God says about all these things in order to get the truth from his perspective. And the more I read scripture on one hand and compare it with the news in the other hand, the more things get me, to be honest with you. I don't think it's just me being a grumpy old man. I'm reading it, I'm like, it's, it's Leviticus chapter 19, verse 33 says, When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. And then, so when I read about how God says we should treat refugees and strangers, and I compare it with what we actually do in this country, it gets me. And I want something to change. It want, I want it to get me more. Matthew 25, Jesus says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you look after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And so I went and read here about how much God cares, how much he loves the poor and the homeless and the hungry and how we will be judged chiefly on how well we have loved and helped people like that. People who are homeless or people who are in prison, not on how loudly or how well we sing in church. It gets me. It, it, it makes me want to change. I want it to get me even more in 2022. To ask the question, what is life like here in Britain 
for the poor. When universal credit is cut, but the cost of living just keeps on rising, I need to let that get to me before God gets to use me. For so many people in our nation, the walls are down, the gates are burned with fire. And the question isn't, or well, what will God do about it? But God wants to say to me, what can you do? What will you do? God only gets to use people who let things get them the way that they get him. So I'll sum up the problem in Jerusalem in a three-word headline, all beginning with R, because there were raiding parties all around the city that just kept coming in and causing trouble and stealing everything and whatever gains the people had managed to eke out in terms of an existence to survive. They were just starting to get back this remnant who were suffering reproach, were living in the ruins of the former glory. And there's the three words. There was a small remnant of people who were left, grieving survivors who'd escaped, though many had been lost all alone. They felt all alone. They had no, no comfort. Even though the temple was there, for them, it was just this empty institution. And what a picture that is for me of how many people view the church just as this empty religious building and a shell of what was in our land. Monuments to the past days of glory when its influence was real, when its message was prophetic, not conditional, not traditional, not pathetic. And as a result, God's people were reproached by their neighbours who mocked them and gloated them. Oh, you thought God would look after you, did, did you? Ha! See how God looks after his friends. I'd hate to be one of his enemies. And what got Nehemiah the most, I think, was whenever they'd try and start over to have a life again, because the walls were now in ruins and even the gates had been burnt that were meant to protect them, it just kept happening over and over and over again. I think that's a good time for us to look at Nehemiah, isn't it, this year? Because the church and the nation and every one of us is probably continually reeling from the pandemic and the fearful effects of policies we're told are being put in place to restrict the spread of COVID. But nobody is immune from the tears and the tragedies and the troubles that are going on around us. And it doesn't seem like you know, well, it seems to me like every time we, we just start to feel like we can breathe hope or dream again, some other trauma of one description or another comes marauding through. So we're going to look at what Nehemiah did in the weeks and months ahead. And you probably know I'm an activist kind of a person. I want to jump straight in and come up with plans and start talking about how we can rebuild the ministry is here and all of the things that we want to do for the kingdom. But he was a way better leader than me because he didn't do that. I'm like, don't just sit there, do something. But there's wisdom in what I once heard somebody say. Don't just do something, sit there. Sit there and think. Sit there and pray. And that's what Nehemiah did. When he heard the bad news, he didn't just go off and think, what can I do about it? Look at verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. We can work out that those days actually were four months that he went from December through to April, weeping, fasting, praying. Yes, I'm planning. So today it's only the second day of 2022. I want to ask and invite you to do some of that too. Not necessarily for four months, but maybe this week. I want to fast some time this week, some days this week, at the start of the year, not just to lose a bit of weight, but to lament. It's an important part of being a God 
worshipper, you know. Two out of three of the Psalms are laments. Somebody writing down what's going on in them and how it gets them, how it's got to them. And they name the pain before God. They express the hurts and the heartbreaks and the, the feelings of hopelessness. So you could get a journal and write in there, honestly, how you feel, or, or get this amazing book written by our own Ian Andrews, um, What We Lost in the Storm, and, and read it through and discuss it together with other people. Like, like here, April 24th, uh, the, 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 the entry in here, when the little girl at the centre of the story asks what we often ask, why did it have to happen to me? And she goes on and she says, it isn't fair. And you know, she's talking to God and, and God is there with her all the way through. And he's big enough to cry on, to, to lament with and to. It's how he brings beauty out of ashes because God will wreck you for what he wants to use you to rebuild. God will wreck you for what he wants to use you to rebuild. God will give you what gets him because he wants to get you to be an answer, not just somebody with questions. Nehemiah was torn up on the inside by the story of what was happening, but he was also stirred to action. As he, and you can read his prayer. I've got time to read it, but it reminds himself that God is awesome and powerful and great no matter what. And then he replays back to God his own promises and his plans to rescue and to restore and to rebuild. So Nehemiah fasts and he weeps and he prays his heart out and he writes it out in the next six verses. Maybe that will help us too as we continue to ask God to have mercy on us in this next year together as a church. But maybe like me, when something really gets you you don't even know how to get started and I find the best thing we can do then is silence because it's hard but when the Holy Spirit comes he doesn't come to fill buildings not now because you and me are his temple. And when the Holy Spirit comes, and we make time to review and to think back over the hurts and the things that we've lost and lament. See, I, I've had it where God puts what they call a burden on you. That's what they used to call it. I, I sometimes, even now, I feel it in my guts when I start to pray for our nation. I was told at an event years ago that God's going to give you specifically a, a, a burden to pray prophetically for this nation. And I want to learn to do that more and more. I think it could be potentially the most important and, uh, part of my ministry would be to give myself more to prayer and less to action. But what will you let your heart be broken for? in this year, when God sees children hurting and in pain, what walls are down? Who needs help? How can we rebuild? Because when you get quiet and you start to listen and what you feel in those moments is God wanting to share his heart and its brokenness, his hurting with you. And yes, it will hurt. But that's how he gets us to be part of the healing there too. 
It said that when Jesus looked at a crowd of people in the city, he began to weep over it and he had compassion over them. And he wept because he said they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he was the good shepherd, so he wept over them. Let's not just keep getting distracted again and again, but let's pause and look and see with Jesus' eyes. Somebody said, the reason we don't heal like Jesus is that we don't feel like Jesus. How does Jesus feel about these issues? about what's going on in our nation right now. Now, when you think of resolutions, will you resolve, when you take some time, now, today, this week, before another year just starts and gets busy again, fast, don't, don't eat anything for a day or, or only eat fruit and veg or something if you can't do that and just drink plain water or something. And it's very powerful, it heals our lives on the inside and it gives us power and it fuels our prayers too. I want to fast and pray some this week but talk with other people and pray together as you rejoin or join a grow group. Resolve to be fully in with your grow group for this next season as we look together at what Nehemiah is going to show us and as we get real with each other about how it is really happening and what's going on. And we can lament together in those times about what's been ruined, the plans, the hopes, the dreams of yesterday. We can lament the losses, lament our loneliness, lament how people near and far are feeling fearful, suffering poverty or want. We can lament the confusion that comes when we don't understand either what's happening or what's going to happen. And why did God allow that? And, and we don't have answers for ourselves, never mind to give to anybody else. They might reproach us and somehow do that just to make them feel better. But again, it's like when in Ian's book, a picture from April the 18th, when both fear and God's spirit come close to us and we choose whose voice it is that we're going to listen to and amplify. And I really want to encourage you, as I say, to get that book because it's going to help you look back about what's been lost and to be grateful for what we've gained and be hopeful for what is ahead as we rebuild and what God wants us to do and, and through us to help other people as well. Maybe buy one to give away too because you know somebody who needs that, who's broken right now and, and confused in the world, but there's so much hope here. Nehemiah fasted and he wept and he lamented and he prayed and he wrote out his prayer and you can see an example of it there that he prayed. But the chapter doesn't finish there. Look at the last verse. It says, and I was cupbearer to the king. Why does he say that? Because he's making a resolution. Now, I don't mean the kind of resolutions that I sometimes make at the beginning of the year, like I'm going to go to the gym more or I'm going to eat less or drink less or whatever. No, Nehemiah did, resolves to do something about what God wants to see resolved. He's resolved to solve the problem that God wants to resolve. He's not a builder, but he's resolved to build broken walls. He's not a carpenter, but he's resolved to get those gates back in place. He prays so long because he knows he can't do any of it alone. He's going to need the favour of God and of people. And he's got a lot to learn. He's going to have to become a surveyor and an architect and a project manager. And as we follow the story, we see he's also going to have to become like a governor, politician and a general. But for now, he is cupbearer to the king and he's going to offer that back to God in prayer and say, if you can use anybody, Lord, you can use me. And then he'll get started and become an answer because we can never start anywhere than where we are. 
There's no point wasting our time wishing we were somewhere else or that somebody else would do it. We, we miss out on so many things like that. You know, if we, we might think, well, if I was there or if I was him or I was her, then I'd serve God and I'd do something. Start now. Start where you are. Start with who you are. Start to pray. Start to fast. Start to weep. Start to take it all to God. And then get ready to wipe your face and get up off your knees and stand. Because God says, okay, now stand up. You've seen the problem. You've shared my heart for it. After you've prayed, together we're going to do something. I'm going to use you to be an answer to this problem. We're going to see next week what that meant for Nehemiah. But for you and for me, as our new year begins, Ivy's year of rebuilding 2022, it starts with the challenge to pray a dangerous prayer, the kind of prayer that changes everything. It starts with me asking you, will you be willing to say this prayer with me? If we say it sincerely, I guarantee it will be answered because this is the way that God changes the world. Because right now there's a lot of rubble. There's a lot of wrecked lives and God wants to use you and me to rebuild. Will you pray with me now? Lord, we know the rebuilding starts when you start with me. I was talking to Zoe about this the other day and she said to me, you know what, we're all, we're all cupbearers to the king really, aren't we? Wow. Whatever we do, when we offer it to him, we're cupbearers to the king. We're going to take communion. We take communion together. It's a great way of remembering that when we eat the bread and when we drink the cup, we're doing it all for the king, the king of kings. So Lord, thank you that you've given yourself fully for us on the cross, that you died for our sins and rose for our forgiveness. And when we take communion, Lord, we want to tell you, I'm giving you everything back. Everything for you. Whatever you've given me, I want to give it back to you now. Gratefully as we worship. Will you pray, a, pray a, that dangerous prayer with me that changes everything for this new year? It's not complicated, but it's huge. Just two words. Two words, when we pray them, change everything, change our lives and ultimately will change the world when they're answered. Because God always answers this prayer. What's the words? Use me. Voice it. God's listening. Use me this year. Use me for what gets me and gets you. That's how Nehemiah finished. He, he got started. He, he gets up off his knees. He rolls up his sleeves. And he says, I'll take whatever you've given me so far. I'll give it all back to you, Lord. I am cupbearer to the king, but I know that I serve you, the king of kings. So use me. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org media.